three, two, one. From down in the dirty bird. Oh my goodness gracious. The only mustard buzzard podcast on the planet. This is Buzzardry. Here are your hosts, Ben Milam and Patrick McGee. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Buzzardry. It is Sunday night, January 22nd at the time of this recording. Very glad to have you back with us. This episode is brought to you by Big Goal Nation. That is southernmiss.rivals.com. It is the premier inside source for all things Southern Miss Athletic. Thanks, Big Goal Nation, for sponsoring the episode. My name is Ben Milam. I'm here with my partner, Stats McGee. Pat, how you doing? Yeah, newly nicknamed, uh, but yeah, glad to be here. That's right. Stats McGee was on uh, Eagle Hour earlier this week and um, crushed it with Luke and Kelly. And you can find that on Spotify, I think, right? You can go back and listen to that. Um, talked a little basketball. But we are going to be talking not only basketball. Pat, we are how many days away from opening uh, day? Yeah, I guess there's like 26. What's the opening day is on the 18th. Seventeenth is, is opening day. Seventeenth. So yep. let me type in days until February seventeenth, um, and it says twenty six days. Twenty six days, folks. And they actually talked about it. They talked about it on twenty five. When people uh, will be listening. That's right. Twenty five days, man. How about that? Um, Luke and Kelly actually talked about this on Eagle Hour too. Uh, I think it was early this past week about. The season ticket sales, they're approaching 4,000. It's now standing room only for uh, ticket sales. It's uh, shaping up to be uh, another exciting um, year and just a, a fun year in the Pete. And so we thought it was appropriate, uh, and we talked, we told you guys we were going to do this a couple weeks ago to preview the team. Um, it's going to be a lot of flyover stuff, but it'll be some stuff in detail as well. Uh, where necessary, but we're not going to do a separate baseball episode. So uh, just a note of housekeeping. Uh, We always put the time marks of the topics in the description of the episode. So if you're just here for baseball, go to the description. It'll tell you when we start talking about baseball and uh, you can skip ahead to that. But we would invite you to stick around. We're going to talk a little basketball, two big wins for Jay Ladner, the Golden Eagles, and uh, one football tidbit as well before we get to all the happenings on the diamond. Okay, Pat, let's get into basketball a little bit. Two home games, finally, and two games that would sort of set the stage, I think, for the stretch a little bit. Two winnable basketball games like we talked about last week. Let's go South Alabama first. This one was a little more hard-earned, I think, than the James Madison win, uh, but a good one nonetheless. Yeah, and it was, I mean, it was kind of, the, I guess, reverse where you thought GMU would be a tougher game and South Alabama would be one you went a little easier. But it was a game where you just, you didn't really shoot it well. You shot it uh, 5 of 26, and actually both teams uh, shot at 5 of 26. And it was just a matter of, it was kind of a back and forth. It kind of felt like one of those, you know, classic uh, Memphis games. That, you know, a lot of those, you know, most of those games you didn't come on the right side of. But uh mm-hmm. Uh, but I think you look at uh, at Crowley and uh, I guess Hossie to a little bit lesser extent uh, were the big stars in this game. You had Crowley with 25 points, and it was just it was back and forth, and it was you know 73 or uh, 73 70, and you're able to get a stop, and you know you're able to get the um, you know free throw to get it to or a couple free throws. Yeah, 
uh, to get it to a two-possession game. And it was the, uh, the return of Neftali Alvarez. He did not uh, play a ton in this game. They're, again, they're still working his minutes up. Uh, and we'll get into kind of how his impact, because you saw it, I think, better in the James Madison game just defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it, it was a good win. It was one of those um, games where – it was just you had you didn't really have an easy home win <laughs> until uh, you know kind of yesterday, but um, yeah, just a back and a back and forth game. And it was just I guess you they um, one thing that I saw is uh, they they didn't substitute a whole lot. You had five guys play thirty plus minutes. Uh, only six players played more than ten minutes. One of those was you know Alvarez with only eleven. Uh, so they really found a um, I guess a, a rotation for this game and. Uh, I think a big part of that was, you know, Kevin Samuel, uh, player for South Alabama. We talked about the big seven-footer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about the uh, kind of struggles of uh, of defending, uh, you know, true big men. He had 15 and uh, 15 and 11, um, so he had a nice game, and I'm sure that was kind of part of the reason why they, you know, had the personnel in that they did. But, yeah, it, right. it was a good win, a good crowd. At, at um, You know, we'll get into the crowds, but it was 4,000-plus, which is uh, uh, not, maybe not the first time it's happened in the Latin era, but – one of the few times, and definitely in terms of just actual uh, people, actual, yeah. you know, butts and seats, um, it was, you know, legit. So it was uh, it was a good game, good win, and, uh, you know, you just kind of grinded it out. And there's not been – you mentioned the uh, James Madison game, which we'll get to. There's, there's not been an easy win at home. Uh, there's not been a, an easy or we'll say comfortable win in conference play, period. Ar- uh, Arkansas State kind of, but yeah. But even that was tight in the first half. Well, yeah. So, I, yeah, for the for the full length of a game, yeah. But, but uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think you could, as a whole, uh, particularly in the second half for Arkansas State, look at that as as comfortable, at least towards the end of it. But, yeah, uh, this South Alabama game was sort of the same. I think you saw a lot of the same themes that we have talked about, especially offensively, uh, sort of rear their head again. You struggled um, – in large part, <laughs> you mentioned the 19% from three, uh, five for whatever that was, 27, 26, 26. five for 26. Uh, most, most nights, especially in conference play, that's not going to get it done. I think that's a credit to the defense and also the fact that you've been through some of these battles. This team is, is kind of hardened a little bit, if you want to say that, not to get too meta, but I think going through some of those really – Difficult games uh, on the road through that four-game road stretch. I think this team, even though it was, you know, it came into that stretch in this season as a veteran team in terms of experience, but now playing together in in the meat of conference play, and they were embarrassed a little bit at Marshall. And I think they've come out of this. We touched on this last week. I think they've come out of this a better basketball team. And I think they, they showed you – that they can still really grind out wins even when they don't play their best basketball. And this was, again, important to set the stage for these next three games where you really have to, to have a good stretch if you still want to have a hope of getting the, one of those top four seeds. Right, right. And then uh, another uh, just uh, stat that um, kind of was the difference in the game almost, uh, USM was 19 of uh, 21 from the free throw line. Um, yeah. South was 13 and 19, and it was a four point game. So that was uh, kind of the difference in the game right there was those sure. free, free throw shooting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was. Um, and th- by the way, the team has shot free throws uh, really well. They're actually number one uh, since league play started in free throw percentage, I think around 75% or so. Uh, so that's been a big factor. You know, in the past, you felt like you, 
you haven't been a great free throw shooting team, and yet people are like, well, this team, this team do they even practice free throws? <laughs> and I feel like every, I think every fan base in America says oh, that. Oh yes, oh yes. Um, but yeah, free throw shooting that was a big part of um, you know the win, and you know, big part of yeah. icing this game to make it a two possession game late to where South really uh-huh. did have a shot at it. So, and I think that is that is reflective of the experience that these guys have been through for their college career, and also you know those those previous kind of grinded out. Type games, uh, they've they've been in those tight spots where they had to knock down free throws and got to the point where they're doing it consistently. Uh, Pat, anything else on South Al before we go, James Madison? I think that is it on USA. Okay, James Madison. This was, uh, like I said, I think probably the most comfortable game you have played or felt uh, about getting a win in at least the conference schedule. We'll just yeah, I'll just say that in the conference schedule because you certainly had some blowouts in non-conference play. Uh, you're up double digits early in the game, and we've we've seen that that's been the case in every conference win to this point, especially at home. You've been up double digits, and you lost the lead. On uh, most of the time, it's been really quick and uh, kind of dominant runs by the opponent that quickly wipes the the lead off the table where they immediately get back in the game. But you build that double-digit lead, and James Madison does go on the 8-0 run at the end of the yes. first half. But you're still up You're up seven at halftime, and you come out in the second half, and you really, you really dig in and continue to build the lead out, and it never gets within where, a point where you feel like the game is out of your control. And as we talked about last week, this is a really – good James Madison team who plays with a lot of pace, and that concerns you because of what we saw against Marshall. But I also think we saw a lot of really positive adjustments on the offensive end that allowed you to have your highest scoring output in conference play and come away with a win. Yeah, and I think you look at their pace, and I think you look at – so this was only a 65-possession game, um, according to Ken Palm, which – uh, which is slow. Uh, mm-hmm. I think JMU would want to get in the mid 70s. So, and that makes the 83 points more impressive. So you only you had 83 points, but you only had 65 possessions. So that's well over a uh, one point per possession. So I think really, I think just kind of, I've kind of looked at some things on like Torvik. I think this game may be the Liberty game, but um, this game probably was the best offensive game you played all year, just based on the opponent. Based on yeah. there weren't a whole lot of possessions um, in the game, so you were able to control the pace. You didn't let James Madison, you know you know, run and, you know, do what they like to do. And I uh, thought something, you, uh, you scroll down a little bit, just to see what they did at the rim. So they were, I mean, they're 12, 20, or, or 13 to 22 at the rim, but I mean, that's kind of where they uh, they make, uh, or that's their bread and butter. And uh, they did hurt you a little bit from three early on. Uh, now they were down to 24 from three, but uh, I think that was, oh, they were 6-11 at the half. Yeah. Uh, so they cooled down a little bit there in the second half. And, uh, and yeah, but I guess the big thing you look at USM was nineteen of twenty eight around the rim. Um, so that's I mean that's so that would be thirty eight yeah thirty eight points um, around the rim, and that was uh, you know really the difference in the game. Um, the ability to um, score inside. I was listening to James Madison's coach in the post game. Uh, he was talking about like the saying no team had really hurt him that badly um, in the paint like that. Um, all year, and I think uh, DeAndre Pinckney was uh, you know, the MVP at 28 on, yeah. uh, on I think, 15 shots. If you scroll up just a, a tad there, yeah, on uh, 28 points on 15 shots. So yeah. really uh, efficient performance for him. And uh, you look at um, Hase was able to hit a couple threes. Um, Crowley was three – or, yeah, Crowley hit two threes. So uh, – or Hase only hit one through Kelly uh, – 
two threes. But then yeah. you saw um, you're talking about Alvarez. Um, he's not going to show up in the box score a ton. He only had five points and. Um, he only had two steals, but just he—you can see how disruptive he is yes, defensively yes. on ball defense, and that's you know again not something that necessarily comes up in the box score, uh, but you just see that watching the game. Uh, so yeah, this was um, yeah, I think this was definitely your best um, game you've played in yeah. league play. Uh, I mean, probably the best game you played um, at least yeah, I mean at least a month. I mean, I guess you maybe look at that Lamar game, but again, Lamar's you know a really bad team, so I mean. It's, it's another top 100 win. You have three top 100 wins now. I think you have uh, between Liberty, Vandy, and JMU. Uh, it gives you a, a tiebreaker in case um, you know you're tied with James Madison for potentially getting uh, a, a buy one of the last spots of or the last spot in the top four. Which I think at this point you're, you're looking better than getting number four. I think you're probably going to get a top three at this point. Don't knock on wood. Don't want to jinx anything, but I think you're in uh, a good position for t- a top three yep. uh, at least. And yeah, it was just a, a really good performance uh, there on Saturday. Great crowd, best crowd of the, the these last two games were the uh, largest two crowds of the Latiner era. This one was forty three hundred plus. Great atmosphere. Yeah, uh, just all around uh, good win. And on uh, first of all, on DeAndre Pinkney, we've we've talked about the difference that he that he can make, but with Crowley and Hase, I mean Crowley has has obviously been unbelievable. He's been fabulous, and he's he's been the leader. Uh, on the offensive end, uh, particularly with Hase being a little more, little bit more quiet. But these are the type of games that I think you see the potential of this team. Uh, when Crowley, you know, only has a measly 40, 14 points, um, by the way, scores in double digits for, the, I think, the 12th consecutive game, something like that. Um, but this, with Hase's 9, Crowley 14 this was one of the lower scoring outputs uh, that that duo has had in, in a long time, but over a month, I think. And it it shows you that it's it's not just that duo. I think you were um, obviously really excited how great they were, both in non-conference play, but it was a little bit concerning how heavily the offense leaned on those two. And with the emergence of DeAndre Pinckney, uh, particularly as a scoring threat, I mean, having a career high of 28 points, when Crowley and Hase are a little bit more quiet, points to that. Uh, it's not just that duo. Uh, you have, I think, you have a true big three a little bit, if you want to say it like that. Um, and we've talked about Mo Arnold and Donovan Ivory off the bench was uh, he provided some some good energy. It was late for the mm-hmm. most part, but eight points in ten minutes. Yeah, uh, he's shown an ability to score both inside and out. And and then the second guy you talked about, Alvarez. Um, Yes, a lot of those, a lot of those things he did well didn't so show up on paper, but I think he. I mean, he was he played for what 11, 10, 11 minutes was, on Thursday. Let's yes, see, eleven. Eleven minutes and so doubled his his time on the floor with twenty two minutes on Saturday, and so you got to there was a much uh, clearer sample size larger sample size for Alvarez and the difference that he makes, even though he wasn't doing it in terms of putting it in the basket, I think the offense just flows better when he's in the game. I think he's, yes, he's tough on defense and obviously very disruptive. I mean, those two steals he got both resulted in dunks, and those were both parts of big runs for Southern Miss to build that double-digit lead. But he calms everything down. The offense was much more fluid and smoother, the ball didn't stick. 
uh, in either of these last two games. And partially, I think that's the adjustments that the coaching staff has made. But I also think it's having Neftali Alvarez, who is a more of a true point guard than than Mo Arnold, and having both of those guys on the floor, I think is is I think you've seen that uh, that's beneficial for Mo. Maybe more so Thursday. Only has one two point bucket on Saturday. But it takes a lot of pressure off of Mo, and he's able to score. He's, he's I think, more equipped to score from an off-guard position. And so, yeah, the combination of all of that, I think you you feel far better about the offense. Um, and and it's a, it was a good James Madison defense that you played as well. I mean, they're, they're top three enforcing turnovers in the Sun Belt coming into that game, and you were uh, largely clean in terms of turning the basketball over, right? Ten. <laughs> Twelve. Or, yeah, 10. Or, no, 12. 12. So, you had 12 turnovers. James Madison, I think, had 12 turnovers, too. Let me double-check yes. that number. Yep. So, uh, Wash, in terms of turnover, and the, I mean, that's right around your average, uh, again, against a good defense. And so, I think a lot of a lot of really encouraging things out of these two games um, going into these, these next two. And I think you look at that Saturday game this week, uh, particularly, as another big test. But, uh, yeah, I, I think this is... These two games, uh, to to kind of make it full circle, this is a picture of Southern Miss playing much closer to their best basketball. Yeah, and you you just talk about um, you know Alvarez coming in and Ivory's contributions, but you also had contributions. I mean, you look at someone like a Victor Hart made a three. Yeah, yeah. out of nowhere he tried. Uh, or no, he only attempted one. For some reason, I thought he attempted another one. But yeah, he had. He a was throw. open for another one. And oh, okay. shooting. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and then he made two big free throws. Yes. Um, and then yeah, Tyler Mormon came in, uh, got an offensive mm-hmm. rebound, uh, a put back. Um, so yeah, you had. I mean, really, and Denaja Harris scored double digits. Um, so you had contributions yep. from a lot of guys. So um, it just kind of shows you the depth you have and. Um, you know, some of the other guys, or some of the guys we're talking about, you know, maybe they won't play a huge role down the stretch, but, you know, when you need them in this game, uh, they made big plays for you, big yeah. plays that, you know, changed the course of the game. So mm-hmm. just, um, yeah, all around a good a good win. Yes, and the fact that we didn't even talk about Denajay Harris being in double figures in this game till the very end there, it points to the fact that that's kind of an expectation now, as he's, yeah. he is going to carry some of the offensive load. Okay, two more big ones this upcoming week, both – at home and two more winnable games, Pat, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, so we won't really get into Arkansas State since we just talked about them two weeks ago. Yeah. But uh, they're, they're one and seven in the league. And uh, at, at home, they're in the 300s of pretty much every metric. This is a game you should win yeah. um, pretty handily, I think. They're on Thursday. Um, so that's a game that hopefully doesn't have a lot of heartburn. But uh, Texas State on Saturday, so they're ten and eleven, three and five in the league, two ten net, two oh nine Ken Palm, and then one ninety three in Torvik. Uh, they're an interesting team. They're, they're a lot better defensively than they are offensively. You look um, in terms of three pointers, they they take fewer three pointers. Are there aren't aren't a lot of teams that take fewer three pointers than they do? So only twenty five percent of their uh, field goal attempts are threes. Uh, and when they do shoot threes, they're only hit thirty percent, which is in the three hundred. So. Uh, a team that, uh, yeah, they're, they're going – and they're a small team. They're actually one of the smaller teams um, in terms of uh, in a height, I think bottom five, bottom ten or so. Um, so they're a team that they're not uh, really lethal from outside, um, but they defend pretty well. And um, yep. But if you scroll down, they're in individual players um, there. Uh, Mason Harrell, we'll see what his status is. He uh, came out of the game against Marshall on, uh, on uh, Thursday. 
Uh, and then he did not play at all against ULL on Saturday. So we'll see if he's available. He's their leading scorer. And, um, I mean, he's really the um, – they only have two players that are um, averaging more than one three a game, and he's one of them. He's averaging 1.53s a uh, game. But, yeah, he has averaged 16 a game. Then Tyrell Morgan, uh, Nate Martin, those are other guys uh, that are uh, players or impact players for him. Uh, they haven't really relied a ton on transfer some JUCO guys. Um but yeah, it, I think I think it's a good matchup. Just um, yeah, just based on they're not a big three point shooting team. Even though if you just look at the numbers, um, USM's defended threes probably better than they have, um, in a, in a long while. Probably maybe, maybe since the Eustachie twenty twelve team. Uh, but you know, it just feels like anecdotally teams always hitting threes. Um, yeah, you can, <laughs> and I think you know it always feels worse than it is. You know, if a team's like. <laughs> It's like that BYU game in uh, the NIT in twenty thirteen, in twenty thirteen, and it feels like oh man, they hit twenty five threes on twenty seven attempts. But if you go back and look, it, they were like eleven to twenty seven, which is above average. But it's like they weren't hitting every single one. They were just maybe a, a little yeah. above average. But it felt like it just hurts. It, yeah, it, uh, anecdotally, just kind of sitting in the in the building and watching it, it felt like they're hitting a bunch. But I mean, yeah, you, you saw that uh, our perimeter shooting. Uh, hurt you in the first half against JMU, but yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. You're gonna have a height advantage, um, and it's just it's a team that can't score a lot. Pretty good defensively, but uh, these are two teams. I think Arkansas State will definitely, or not definitely, but likely finish in last place in the conference. Texas State will probably finish in the you know lower tier, ninth or tenth or eleventh or so. Yep. I mean, you're playing teams like that at home, and you know you're a top 100 type team. Uh, you should win those games. So I think. Right. Um, yeah, two games you should win. You should move on eight and two, and uh, head on the uh, you know the road trip next week. Mm-hmm. Let's before we move on. Let's talk um, about this this atmosphere. I don't want to just skate over that. You you have two the two largest cl- crowds in the Jay Ladner era. That's over the last four years. Um, my broadcasting schedule is such that it, it's I mean it's Thursday Saturday, so I, I won't be able to go to I don't think any of the home games the rest of the way, but. You were there for for both of those, and uh, I mean, we were both there in spots, you know, over the last decade when there were, I, I think it was DeAndre Pinkney who who either was talking after the game or in some article, and he said, "Man, there were there were a hundred people in the stands, and now there are over four thousand. I, I don't think that's an exaggeration. Right. And so, at, at some at some points, there were a hundred, maybe less than a hundred people in the stands. It's remarkable how quickly it's turned around. And I think it, it also points to what we talked about way back at the very end of last year after Southern Miss lost in the conference tournament. We were talking all uh, about all of the question marks around the coaching staff and so forth. And we talked about the fact that people care about basketball at Southern Miss. They want to support a competitive basketball program. And I think you've seen that evidenced by this explosion um, so, from your perspective, what 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 is this, what were those two atmospheres like, especially in winning basketball? Oh yeah, I mean it it was great. I mean it was uh, I think especially Saturday. You look at the the bleachers outside of the I guess the students and the students filled in pretty good on not as quite as good as they did on Thursday, just because you know was, your classes were out on Saturday obviously, but um, on Saturday I mean really the non student bleachers were almost not like a hundred percent capacity, but probably 80, 85, 90 type capacity. That, yeah, and. Um, so yeah, it, I mean, and we you know we talk about Reed Green. Even when Reed Green is just at fifty percent capacity, or maybe a little bit more than that, like it was. I mean, it's a really yes. tough place to play. And I was just kind of going back and listening 
a little bit to that JMU broadcast, and they were talking about how it was a you know really tough atmosphere, and it was I think that Crowley dunk on uh, on Thursday to make it like fifty six fifty, I mean that was the loudest it's probably been since Tyndall. Um, you know, maybe uh, I don't know if there was a moment in that uh, game against La Tech in twenty nineteen, but now when Camaro was there, maybe Ladavius Drain hit a three and it was louder. Um, but yeah, yeah, I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that that's the thing. I mean, I'll let you finish here, but I mean, games like that, like there were a few games where you you got some people out during late in the Doc Sadler era, a few spots here and there, early in Jay Lander's tenure. But like you said, first of all, it's it's actual butts and seats, but it's also an awareness that there you expect to win and you know you're competing for the top of the conference and that that makes a huge difference in the atmosphere you're you're not just there kind of one off it's people who have been coming all season long are excited about southern miss basketball and that shows in the atmosphere so that i think that's the difference in this year and in some of those spot games of the past 10 years or so yeah yeah and um just toward the end of that um JMU game, you had the big USM chin, and yeah. that was super great. And it was just, yeah, two really good atmospheres, and I think it's going to hopefully grow. I, I guess Arkansas State and Texas State, maybe those aren't huge-name opponents, but I think at this point their people are just, you know, there to watch the team because they're winning yes, a bunch of games. exactly. They're in the hunt uh-huh. uh, for, you know, one of the top seeds in the conference tournament. And I kind of look – the game that I'm kind of looking at that could have, I don't know, a hard sellout, but I would hope six or 7,000. Uh, would be that ULL game, which would be two weeks uh, from this uh, Thursday. And that's a game where, I mean, that could have regular season title implications yes. as recognizable local opponent. Um, so that's the game where I would really hope people would come out for. I mean, come out for every game, but uh, especially that one. Even, I think that's the game that could get the casual kind of Hattiesburg or, you know, Forest, Lamar, Jones County fans out there. Yeah. Um, so hopefully see maybe a big marketing push uh, mm. for that. Because I guess you'd have uh, two weeks or so almost after that um, after that Saturday game against um, Texas State, you almost have two weeks to kind of prepare for that. So that is that is two weeks from Thursday, so the ninth of February. That, that Louisiana yes, game. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, man, I I really hope I can make it out at some point. But if if you are on the fence and you have an opening in your schedule for one of these home games, man, I'm telling you, you're missing out. If if you have not been able to make it out to Reed Green. Uh, these guys are playing well. They're fun to watch, and man, it's there's nothing like competitive college basketball in a great atmosphere. Nothing like it, especially in Reed Green. Pat, yeah. anything else on basketball? Yeah, just just kind of getting all about competitive basketball in Reed Green is, um, it you just kind of it feels it, it feels good to care about. Oh. I mean, when you have those back and forth, like every possession matters. Yes. All, that, oh, that's man. what I just think about, like. Sitting there for the South Alabama game, I was like, "Man, it's been a long time, long since, time. since you've had one of these meaningful basketball yeah. in green, good crowd, mm-hmm. and you know, a game that really matters in terms of just the conference race and those top four seats." So, yeah, I just almost think about on Thursday. Man, so. Yeah, and the crowd feels a need for a stop, and they they get on their feet, and then you get a a big steal and a dunk like you did on Saturday a couple of times. Nothing like it, man. Okay, uh, uh, real quick, we talked about it was unofficial at that point. Austin Armstrong moving on to Alabama. That is official. He's hired as linebackers coach, inside I, I, linebackers. Yeah, either outside or inside. I don't even know if they Alabama might not have made it official yet. But I mean, it's it's happened because they've already yeah. promoted um, right Dan O'Brien. Yes, um, but yeah, and you know made this move that we're about to talk about. Yes, so, yeah. and the change comes from um, not too far away. Dwight Wilson, uh, Mississippi native, correct? Yeah, he. I, 
He's from uh, maybe Vicksburg, played at Ole Miss. Uh-huh. Um, was at South Alabama, and uh, for the, from what I've seen and the people I've talked to closer to the, the situation than I am, feel like this is a really strong hire. Yeah, I mean, and I think this is kind of a um, kind of a you know slap across the face of South Alabama. So um, always a positive. Yeah. So uh, Dwight Wilson, he was a uh, he was the uh, corners slash recruiting coordinator at, at South, um, and he's a guy with deep Mississippi connection. We talked about you know being from here and playing at Ole Miss, and he has a, he coached at uh, several JUCOs. Um, and it's said he was um, at Awamba. He was at um, at Heinz for a, about six or seven years, um, and so. But his before he was he was also at Jones, his DC there. Um, but yeah, so before he was at South Alabama, he was uh, director of player personnel at um, at Indiana. And you kind of look at um, Indiana was a bit. If you follow recruiting on Mississippi over the years, Indiana has gotten some players from Mississippi. So they get, I mean, they're kind of taking players that you would hope USM would get. A lot of these guys that don't make it to the SEC, and then Indiana comes in and swoops them, you know, kind of sell them all the whole Big Ten thing. You, you look at uh, Ty Freifogel, uh, who was, uh, I guess, graduated maybe, I guess, a year ago, but he was, he was from George County, a loose guy, and he went to Indiana, um, and he was a guy that, um, you know, maybe. 10, 15 years ago, USM would have gotten, and um, Indiana ended up getting them. Uh, and a big reason because of that is a guy like Dwight Wilson, who, you know, from the state, um, knows the state well. And they also had a – Indiana also had a guy from Bassfield maybe. Uh, I, wish I, I wish I could remember. But, it, anyways, they've recruited – so, yeah, he was director of pers- player personnel there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a, a presence in Mississippi when, you know, they probably shouldn't have um, with a normal staff. And so, anyways, he went to uh, South Alabama. He was the first assistant – that uh, Womack brought or hired um, with or hired at South Alabama when he got there. Yeah. Uh, it just shows you how, um, you know, big of a deal um, it was, or big of a deal he thought bringing Wilson in there uh, was. And, uh, yeah, he, he's been um, assistant there the last two years. And um, I think it was a situation where um, he was, you know, kind of instrumental maybe in taking a couple players that Hall wish you could have gotten here. And they were going to South Al. I think Hall was like, well, you know, maybe we got a chance. Maybe we just want to hire this guy and uh, pony up and, uh, and yep. get him. So I think it yep. just shows you uh, the. Inv- so he was making 106 k at South Al as of 2022. And um, so if you look at the assistant salary poll, uh, this is based on 2022, the USA Today assistant database. USM's assistant salary pool was $1.48 million. USA's was 1.325 million, uh, so that's about, I mean that's a 10 percent difference. But I, I think if if he was if he's just making so you have 10 assistants, so 10 assistants with 1.48 total, and the average would be you know almost 150 thousand. Yeah. So let's just say we don't know what his salary is, but let's just say he's making 150 thousand. I mean that'd be a substantial raise. Yeah. Um, as well as the opportunity to get back. Um, into the state. So I think it just shows you a lot of people say, well, you know, USM, they just don't have, you know, poor old USM. They don't have the money and they don't, and they kind of look at, at things like facilities, which are in, you know, South, they have maybe a little more ability to build these big, you know, like the Mitchell Center and the Mitchell, everything Mitchell, the Mitchell practice facility, the yes, Mitchell football, yes, yes, yes. everything. Mitchell baseball is not, I guess, the, not Mitchell baseball, but <laughs> um, so maybe they have more, you know, resources in terms of just building these, having these 
large scale projects. But sure. if you just look at like assistant salaries, USM has invested more in the assistant pool than South has, and I think that's a big reason why you're able to get a guy like Dwight Wilson. Yeah, um, just because he's going to be making, I mean, possibly just speculating if you know if he just makes the average. Um, what we were just talking about around 150,000. I mean, that'd be almost a what a 33 percent um, or 50 percent, right? I'm not. I'm not good at math. I guess. Oh yeah, that'd be about 33 percent um, increase as, as to what he was making. So I just think it just shows you the investment um, that the um, administration is making in the football, and you know, just the commitment. Yeah. You know, that's kind of one of the questions over the last several years is, oh, it is. You know, the commitment, and do they have the resources? But I think this shows you that that it's very much there. So. Absolutely. Yep. And yeah, and all, all that stuff you said, I I, I think you look at. On paper, I think this is a really strong hire, and I also think it points to. I think we talked about it last week. I can't think. I can't remember if it was on here or Eagle Hour or somewhere else. But um, yeah, I, I mean, Austin Armstrong was obviously, you know, a rising star, one of the youngest coordinators in, in Division One college football, and it was no secret that you know, at some point he was going to move on and was going to be sooner rather than later, just as good as the Southern Miss defense has been. And so I, it was, it was, um, you know, you would, I think it's safe to assume that Coach Hall probably had a short list of guys he was, he was going to call as soon as that happened. He wasn't, he, he was not left scrambling of oh, who in the world am I going to hire? And yeah, all that stuff you said, I think points to the fact that Dwight Wilson was probably on the top of that short list. And so seems like a really great hire. Um, yeah, Dan O'Brien, I think, is a, is a natural fit into that um, defensive coordinator position, especially following Austin Armstrong. Yeah, oh, sorry. I, I said I gave an example of uh, guys that he had brought in from Indiana. I mentioned Ty Freifuckel. I don't think uh, he might have gotten there um, after he was there. But okay. Indiana did have a presence in um, in Mississippi. Yeah. Um, when he was there, so yeah. that, not a good good example, but they were bringing in guys from the state, sure. um, and that just you know shows you an example of uh, what he can do recruiting wise. So yeah, all right, Pat, you ready to talk a little baseball? Oh yeah, all right. So I don't think we have to really review last season. Obviously, we have in past episodes uh, talked in full about the implications of last year's success, forty-seven to nineteen overall. You. Host a regional, host a super regional, and are, yeah, just that that uh, one short yet very long step from Omaha, and you run into a, a team who beats you and goes on to win the national championship. <laughs> um, but we had talked about, we have talked about several times that this is, it was a big step for this program. Obviously, you have a trip to the College World Series in 2009. But this felt like there's there was more of a foundation to build upon, and it was sort of the next logical step in order to take just overall the next step as a program in terms of being a national power and having the, the Omaha expectations year in and year out and carrying over into 2023. I think that's no different. Um, and we'll talk about all the details here. You do you you lose a good chunk of your pitching staff, uh, but you do return a lot. And so, Pat, before we get into the details here, coming off of last year, um, it, it, is that a fair assessment that this big next step 
raises the expectations. And along with all the, you're setting the season ticket sales records and all this kind of stuff, it feels like the excitement and the expectations are at an all-time high for Southern Miss baseball. I think so. I think you look at, you know, last year, the Super Regional, you had come close, uh, you know, over the last five years and getting to a regional. So getting to that Super was such a big deal. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of these people on social media are like, well, Southern Miss are dogpiling for our regional win. <laughs> and the people, but oh. it was, I mean, you know, you know. Whatever. They, but, and I think the, you know, but just getting into that, I guess, it, you, Last year, you were thrilled to win a regional because you had been so close. Yes. In seventeen, right. and twenty-one, you were the game away, and you know finally breaking through against, <sighs> against the pro- LSU. LSU right. You know, you yeah. know the Yankees of college baseball, yep. if you will, uh, made it just such a great moment. But now I think I, the expectation is uh, to kind of yeah take that next step into um, into Omaha. Yeah, and I think this team. Uh, I think you just look at the polls. D one baseball has uh, eighteen. The team eighteen. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Omaha is, I don't know if you would say it's an expectation, but it's very much a possibility. Right. They have that potential. Yes. And, um, you know, the upside is there and we'll get into it, but yeah, I think, you know, last, last year, I don't, I mean, you don't say you were just happy to win the regional, but now you, you, I think that that was one of the, I guess you look in that super regional matchup. Ole Miss was very much, they had, they had been to the, uh, super in 21, they had been, I guess, some, well, most of those players wouldn't have been on the Super team in 19, but I guess they might have had a couple. So they were a really experienced team that yep. um, had that deep postseason experience. And I don't mean, I don't, that, I don't think that was the primary reason why they won the um, Super the way they did, but I think that was, um, you know, a factor. Absolutely. And um, I think that team, or this team now, um, now that they've been to a Super, I think, you know, just, you know, again, talking circles again, but the expectation is, uh, or not the expectation, but, you know, they're not just happy with getting to the Super. The, right. The goal is, you know, to get to Omaha. And yeah. I know every team says that, but, you know, it's a little different now, I think. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, there, was, there was a satisfaction of winning a regional last year that you got that I don't think you would get this year, if that makes yes. sense, or moving forward. Yes. Right. Um, okay, so, Pat, uh, let's, let's jump into, I think, the biggest – question mark for this team this is we we have gotten some questions here and there about this and have have held on to our answers um until we we talked about just the until we got into the full baseball preview but it is pitching it's on the mound and that was obviously the strength of this team last year one of the better uh, one of the top five pitching staffs in the country um, and you were expecting that to remain and we, we don't have to go through all the details of how you got there but the expectation was that it would be your strength again and then you lost what seven of your top eight uh, producing arms I think um, yeah, yeah, I have to go back and look at the, yeah. the specific yeah, production numbers but you lost the majority of your innings on the mound and and most of those guys had an opportunity, um, you know, had, had another year of edge eligibility, and just about all of them got drafted a lot higher than was the expectation, and um, and moved on to professional baseball. Which you're obviously happy for those guys, but it really hurts you and left a big hole in terms of experience on the mound. So there, 
there are a lot of unknowns, and this is this is not dissimilar to what we were talking about last year with this team. Um, there were we sort of had no clue who was going to be. You know, we had an idea, but we didn't know what the rotation was going to be. We didn't know how you were going to play replace some of those back end pieces, and obviously. Christian Ostrander did an unbelievable job of doing that. It feels like this year may be a little bit different. I don't know if you have the talent of that staff last year, and I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that if if Christian Ostrander can do anything close to what we saw last year, that this would probably be his best job of reconstructing a, a staff to this point. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think I think what you I think we're going to look back at that. Um that staff from last year and you have at least, I mean, you had the five guys that were drafted and then you have, I think, you know, three or four others that haven't been drafted yet that will be drafted um, eventually in, in their career. So I think you're going to look at that years from now and you're going to say, well, that 22 um, pitching staff, they had eight or nine guys drafted with maybe, you know, a couple big leaguers on there. And yeah. You're going to be talking about, I mean, they might have be been a better pitching team than the 2017 team was in terms of hitting. Sure. Yeah. Twenty seventeen yeah. team obviously had you know several guys in the lineup draft, including one guy that's already made it to um, Major League Baseball, Matt Walner. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think the big thing uh, you say you maybe not have quite the talent or depth or or whatever from that last year's team did, but also a big factor or big thing that this year's team has that this last year's team didn't is they do have this team does have an elite ace already you know yes, on the yes, roster yes. W- yep. with Tanner Hall. So big difference. I, I think that is um, something you can go ahead and pencil in. You know your Friday starter, which is um, yeah, obviously a, a huge thing and uh, not something a whole lot of teams. I could say so. Yeah, I mean, you have a, a day one uh, type draft pick starter on Friday, mm-hmm. and that's going to be big. And then, uh, but then, yeah, behind him, you, you there's questions, and yeah, and in the bullpen, there's questions. Right. Um. So I, I guess getting in the rotation, I think people are. I think the expectation is Nico Maza will be somewhere in that Saturday or Sunday mix, depending on where they want to put him. Mm-hmm. Um. And he's a guy we, we talked about him last year. He was a top. 200, 250 recruit coming out of MRA, top five or six player in the state. He did not pitch a whole lot last year just because he was so deep on the mound. He think he threw five in the third innings. Uh, but he's someone that he's a he's similar to a healthy Gabe Shepard. Um, he, he's a smaller guy, um, but he can get up, you know, or he was 92, 96 in the fall. Um, and, yeah, I think the big thing with him is developing that third pitch. He's a fastball yes. slider guy yep. uh, primarily, and I think they've really worked on that changeup, and I think that changeup's coming along. Yep. I think, uh, you know, people are hearing good things and uh, about that changeup. Um, so he, he's a guy with high ups. I mean, you you look at what Gabe Shepard gave you at the end of 2019 where right. he made three really good starts and, you know, gave you that great start against Arizona State, a high-powered Arizona State team with a ton of draft um, guys, including, you know, number one pick for 2020 and then another top 10 pick and then a couple other guys that went on day one later on. And um, so I think that is his upside, a healthy Gabe Shepard, which um, if, you know, a healthy Gabe Shepard would be great. Cause yeah, I mean, that would be a over full season. I mean, that'd probably be a, you know, a 2.5 ERA, uh, maybe a zero 95 whip and somebody, I think when you, when you look at your number two starter at USM, it has to be somebody that can get outs that can give you a competitive, solid start in a Saturday night winner's bracket game. Yeah. And right. um, you, know, you had that last year with the guy that went to Florida. and um, Yeah, I forget his name. Yeah. But, yeah. but um, 
that's kind of the, the, the standard that I judge the number two starter is because typically Barry's almost always going to go with the ace on the Friday game. Yes. So Tanner Hall, he'll pitch against, you know, whoever you play on that on that day. But uh, if you win that, then, you, yeah, you get you go with Saturday starter on in the winner's bracket game. And even though you, you lost the winner's bracket game last year and you're able to come out of loose bracket and win the regional, you still – is still a lot easier to win a regional when you win those first two oh, games. Yes. Much less stressful, too. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Um, that's kind of what you look at in your number two yeah. starter is yep. the ability to hold down a really powerful quality um, lineup. And I think Mazza, based on his stuff, based on the velo, yeah. has the uh, the ability to do that. He he had an okay summer in, uh, in the Cape League. He had a, maybe a little over five ERA. Uh, but he was able to get some innings that you know he didn't get um, in the spring, um, just because you know because of the pitching staff as deep as it was. So I think he's who you kind of look at um, yeah. in that Saturday or Sunday, depending on you know just how they like it. Um, but yeah, he, he's um, it's going to come down to that changeup. Uh, sure, and and also I think just command control yep. uh, was, was an issue at times. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you you know the player better than I do, so I just what do you think of that? Well, yeah, I, I think the, I like the Gabe Shepard uh, comp because he's he's the kind of guy who comes out of high school and he was he was good enough, uh, especially in uh, MAIS baseball, which has gotten a lot better over the last decade. Um, but he was good enough in high school to where he could he could just throw it past people mm-hmm. and <laughs> paired with a, a, a halfway decent slider. You know you're going to be all state, uh, and he had a really, really good slider and a really, really good fastball. And so there's a, it's there's a lot of development I think required for guys like that, um, which I think is is a big reason why even you only got a five five and a third innings out of him, but it was also a big deal for him to uh, get any innings at all in last year and and be a part of such a great pitching staff. Um, I, I think I think you saw some of that development even in the small sample size, and from what we saw in the fall, I think his control is a little bit better, and um, and we saw some pieces of that development uh, come along. I, I do I do fully agree. I think it's you know you get to this level, you can't be a two pitch guy and be a, a, a Saturday guy in the rotation and be really good. And so, um, but it, again. We keep pointing back to what Christian Ostrander did last year, and I'm sure this is not the last time. But we have seen, and even not last year, going back before, you know, just the guys that he has taken from two pitch reliever to a starter with a, a quality third option and uh, a, an out pitch on on top of what they already had. And so I think you know I think there's a reason to believe, or there's there's reason to have confidence in in that, and I think he's got enough talent, Nico Mazza, um, to add a pitch like that and to to have that sort of potential that you're talking about. And so I, I think, um, yeah, I think there is um, there is reason to be uh, confident in what Coach Ostrander has to work with in, in terms of Mazza and the full, sta- full staff in terms of the rotation. You know, I, I said this team is not quite to the talent of of last year. I think that's true, but there's still a ton of talent on this staff. Uh, you know, don't don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not saying there's no talent on the staff outside of Tanner Hall, uh, and I think Nico Mazza is Exhibit A of that. Yeah. So I guess the other guys you kind of look at in that, or I guess talking about the number three role, 
or just two and three. We'll kind of group those together. The guys sure, behind, yeah, yeah. behind Hall. You look at Matt Adams, and you look at uh, I think Billy Oldham transfer from uh, East Connecticut. Yeah, uh, state there in Division three, and I think Adams is someone that has a little better stuff. I think um, um, Oldham is a little more polished. Uh, but you look at Adams was a guy that came on late um, in the year as, as a midweek guy, mm-hmm. made a start in the regional. Um, and then I guess he also started the game in the uh, in the conference tournament as well. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he, was, he was a fastball uh, uh, change-up guy last year, Adams was. Uh, but he, he pitched well against Southeastern in a midweek, but then you, you kind of got later in the year, and he would go up against UTSA and LSU, and he just wasn't that great. Um but yeah, he, he's a guy that, I mean, he's kind of similar to um, the guys we are Nico Nico Maza. So he's another smaller guy with a big arm. He's five eleven, um, and I think they kind of have, a, I guess, a similar skill set. I guess the difference would be um, Adams already has the uh, kind of the changeup. That was one of his pitches he came in or you know had last year. Um, but he was somebody that um, in the Upper Valley League last year, or um, just in the summer ball. Or sorry, he played in the, in the Northeast League uh, with the Upper Valley. He had a three seven six ERA, a one two five WHIP, um, ten walks, thirty five Ks. So pretty good summer. Um, but yeah, I mean, last year his final ERA was six five six ERA, uh, but he had, his WHIP was one point two four, which is pretty good. So, um, but yeah, he's another guy. He's he's got decent stuff, but he's gonna have to. I guess he's a fastball changeup cutter. I think he's is what he showed. Um, in the fall. So off, uh, a few curveballs here and there okay. in the fall, too. Yeah. That's um, a pretty good break to it. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's he's got some options. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you, just what do you think of him? Um, what do you think of him? Yeah, I, I think uh, he's a guy who's going to have to lean a little bit more on pitchability. Um, you know, uh, obviously he's got different stuff than Tanner Hall, but um, I, I think he's much closer to a Tanner Hall than he is, you know, more of a power guy with a, a power slider and just a power pitcher overall than, say, like a Nico Maza. And so, yeah, I think that changeup is big, um, but, but he's got to be able to hit his spots. He's got to be, um, you know, he's, he's got to be very in control of the zone to be effective. And, you know, I, I think that's what you saw when he saw the much better offenses late in the year like UTSA is those guys are, are going to put it in play. And if you make any sort of mistake over the plate, then they're going to punish it. And so uh, he was exposed a little bit in that regard, but he, he has the stuff absolutely to, to uh, I think, be a, a big factor and, um, you know, solidify a spot in the rotation. Even just the, you know, the starts we saw where he was really good, um, you know, early in, in sort of his emergence, he, he showed that he has the ability uh, to piece together a really strong and lengthy start. And, and that is, that's something that we have not seen out of, um, you know, guys who we were talking about who may be starters. Uh, that's, he, he has maybe a little bit more of a foundation than a lot of, a lot of the guys that we're, we're talking about in terms of a lack of experience. Yeah, and then I, I guess the other guy you, you would kind of look at there um, in the starter role is Billy Oldham. Or- yeah. I guess I already said his name, but I guess just getting into uh, getting into him. So he, last year he was he pitched uh, Division three. We, we kind of talk about he's, I mean maybe like a, a Riggins light 
look at you look at someone like a, a Riggins who pitched in Division Two. He pitched in the Gulf South Conference, which you, we, yeah. we talked about, which is uh, you know the top of Division Two, kind of comparable like lower level Division One, and um, Division Three. I mean, this non scholarship, so it's, it's the level of competition. I mean, I think people kind of group Division Two and Division Three the same, but it's not the it's not no. the same. Um, so he, he, I mean, he had uh, uh, one of the better starters, one of the better pitchers in D three. Uh, had a two five three ERA, a whip of just over one. But in the summer ball, which he was going up against, um, you know, a lot of Division one players, uh, had an ERA of one three eight. Uh, 0.69 whip. So we, I think he's more polished than uh, Adams is, just based on the experience. Sure. Uh, those guys are he, but just combined um, college and summer. He's throwing over 224 innings. Uh, but he doesn't have. I mean, he's gonna. I think at times in the fall he was around. He was like mid 80s. Um, so he, he's someone that's. You talk about Adams being kind of more of a pitchability guy versus a Maza. I mean, I think I think he's gonna rely mostly on pitchability. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just based on he he didn't have. Um, you know, tremendous velo or anything like that. Uh, so he might give, he probably didn't have uh, the ceiling of an Adams or, you know, definitely not like a Mazza, but I think his, his floor would be higher just because even though he pitched in Division three, he, he has a lot of experience uh, and he could probably give you just a, a baseline level uh, of competency there on, um, uh, on a Sunday. Um, or on a midweek, or I think he'd be sure. a guy that could eat a bunch of innings on um, midweek. But I think the the four guys you look at for three spots, based on everything we've kind of heard and read, would be you know Hall obviously locked in there on Friday, and then I think Maza has a. I would say Maza probably will be in there somewhere, and I think you kind of look at Adams and Oldham there battling for um that last spot there on uh, on Sunday or um yeah. or on Saturday if they they want to do Maza on. Um, Sunday just because they like that matchup sure. or something. Yeah. Yeah, and so, uh, I mean, it, it bears repeating that uh, usually the guest rotation or the uh, initial rotation even as it comes out on that opening weekend, 90% chance it's not going to look the same at the end of the year. Uh, but I think you've got three good options. Um, you know, not obviously we can leave Tanner Hall out of the – the question mark conversation, but three good options, I think, to, uh, you know, shift pieces in and out uh, over the first month of play, and hopefully there's not as much shifting. You would love to see it ha- it gel as quickly as it did last year with Riggins uh, Hall and um, whatever the kid's name was that transferred to Florida. And, I, I yeah, I, the talent is not quite as high as it was last year in terms of potential rotation. But I, I think it's got the potential to be a very strong rotation. Um, but, you know, we'll talk about the offense. It might, it might sort of flip-flop in terms of strengths and weaknesses for this team. Uh, but I, I, think you, I think you like the options that you have. Yeah, I think, I think the, the key is going to be if Mazza can be a really good two. And you would have that really good one-two punch with Hall and Mazza. And then Sunday, you just need competency, I think. Sure, yeah. You need somebody that can come in there, and like if, you know, maybe not give you quite what Riggins gave you, but just give you like a, you know, three five or you know, three five ERA would be or three point five zero ERA would be more than competency. That'd be pretty good, but yeah, you know, guy that's going to compete, guy that can give yeah. you five or six innings right. on a Sunday and only give up like three runs. He's going to give you a chance. Yeah, right. Um, so the, yeah, that's the two questions. Um, 
I guess, with with starting rotation. Mazza, can he be? Can he live up to his potential? Um, and you know, be a, a really good two. And you know, uh, I think a Hall Mazza uh, one-two punch could be you know one of the better one-two punches in college baseball if it all you know clicks together. And then you just competency on Sunday. Yeah. Um, those, those are the two questions I would have about the rotation. Let's talk bullpen. Um, that is where the majority of the uh, losses came from. Let's see. Uh, in terms of what you lost, obviously uh, you lost Hunter Riggins in terms of the starting rotation, but you lose uh, Dalton Rogers, Garrett Ramsey, Landon Harper. You lose Drew Boyd, Tyler Stewart, Ben Etheridge. But you returned some, some big pieces as well, um, maybe not as many as you would like. But you bring back guys like Isaiah Rhodes, Justin Storm, um, oh man, who else? <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that might be it. Uh, I thought I had more uh, on the top of my head there, but yeah, that's uh, looking at the roster. I mean, the now, guys that were we just talked. I mean, Maz, I guess, was kind of. A, I mean, in the sense that he didn't right. start, but yeah, we. Well, okay, so here, I mean, Chandler Best was the other guy I was thinking about, but he's he's done for the year. He will not throw the season. Right. Yeah, so uh, the again the cupboard is not bare, but there are going to be some new faces coming out of the cupboard, if you will. Yeah, I think I think the bullpen is the big question mark on this team. I think it's uh-huh. the biggest question mark uh-huh. on this team. And you, I think the first thing you got to find a reliable closer. Yeah. Uh, and last year you were able to, I mean, you had like three guys that you could kind of try it out there. And right. I think uh, Landon Harper kind of became that closer. Uh, but you also had Dalton Rogers, who was electric, and he went third round. Yes. To the Yankees, Garrett Ramsey was somebody you could put out there at times. So they're going to have to find roles. They're going to have to develop roles, and it might take a little while mm-hmm. um, early on. Mm-hmm. The two guys that um, I guess I kind of look at that could maybe become those clo- the closer, um, or you know, one of those guys you rely on in the back end. I think. I think Storm, you kind of he could be an Oct type. I think his, uh, the velo yeah, is up. Yeah. You saw uh, in that game against LSU. I mean, he, maybe he could do the bullpen version uh, of what Tanner Hall did. Kind of a guy uh, that was yeah. not used a ton, but uh, kind of came out of nowhere in the regional, gave you five huge innings, and then the next year he becomes a big, big contributor for you. Yeah. Uh, I think you look at him, and a guy that you can't count on true freshman to really you know do a ton. But somebody that people are really high on, Aaron Fitt was really high on him, J.B. Middleton. Yeah. Yep. Uh, a freshman from Yazoo City, and he's another guy kind of like an Adams and a Mazza, a smaller guy, but he's got a big arm. He's mid-90s, had a pr- really good slider in the fall. Um, he, he fits the mold of a, a reliever. And I think, you know, I think in a perfect world, you would have, you know, Mazza as the closer this year just because I think – and I think that's where, it, you know, at the next level, I think he projects more – as a, a reliever, just based on the, the size, and you typically they like the smaller guys to uh-huh. be, you know, kind of a you know one or two inning guy. Um, but I think Middleton really uh, fits the the um, the relief profile, um, just based on the size, the velo, and I think right at this point he's still a two pitch guy. Right. Um, and we, I mean, we really don't know much at all about him. He pitched it, I guess it. Manchester or Benton Academy. Benton Academy. Benton I Academy. Think. Another MAI. Yes. Yeah. So that, but that's. Yeah. Like MRA and those schools, like those, that's pretty high level, and they play, and they're playing big public schools too. Mm-hmm. Um, Benton Academy, that's not you know tremendous competition <laughs> playing there, um, but he's somebody that 
maybe it, may, it might not be this year, but he's going to be a, a big factor down the road. Um, and I just kind of, I mean, he was in the D1 baseball article, he is listed as being the closer or on the, really? uh, let me pull that. Um, and the, uh, the preview that they had, yeah. um, a guy who can slide or, yeah, I mean they have I mean, cl- they, yeah, here it is closer, JB Middleton freshman. Wow. Okay. So I mean they're um yeah, and by the way, they have Tanner Hall as the number one, Adams is the two, Mazza is the uh is the uh, three, and then they have Oldham in uh in the midweek role. But yeah, they have uh, uh Middleton listed as the closer. So I don't know if that's gonna happen, uh, but that just kinda shows you how high people are on them, you know, even outside the program. Right. Um so I, I look <laughs> at Storm and I look at and Middleton is um, two guys that could potentially be your high leverage uh, back of the bullpen uh, guy this season. So, what, what do you think of that? Yeah, well, uh, with with JB specifically, I mean, first of all, um, I, I I love the MAIS pipeline we're, oh, we're yeah. developing. Uh, I think Will McGillis was was one of the guys that was at the forefront of that. Um, but yeah, with JB, you know, I I think any other year. For the most part, we would not be having the conversation about a true freshman, you know, coming into such a large role like a closer. But I think he is he is certainly going to get plenty of innings early on to see if if he would, um, you know, be able to to take on that kind of role so early uh, because I, I think you're just going to see a bunch of guys sent out there to to sort of feel out what you have. Uh, because obviously, you know, you've been the, with these guys in the fall and a lot of us la- got to see some of these these pieces. But, you know, when you turn the lights on, that's a, a totally different thing relative to the fall. Uh, and so I think J.B. Middleton is a, is a guy who is going to get a lot of looks late in games, uh, especially early in the season. And if he, yeah, I mean, if he can um, produce well in that role, then he's going to have a chance to take that role over, which is is um is rare to say about a true freshman like you said but he has I mean the reason he is there it, it's not because you don't have anything it's because his stuff is is you know putting him in that conversation and the fact that you you have a lack of experience a little bit but I think um yeah I, I think he's gonna get some um, some early action he's gonna be sort of pressed into that action a little bit um, one big concern about the bullpen I mean we talk about some of these options, obviously, Justin Storm is is who you hope will kind of be your your lefty, um, you know, uh, matchup guy who you can maybe not as much matchup guy, but he, he's going to be your dominant lefty. He, he's got that kind of potential uh, because you obviously lose that um, from last year, and he showed you that kind of potential. But also because you are incredibly right righty dominated in this uh, righty dominant in this staff. And so there just aren't a whole lot of options. You have uh, Tyler Martin, Tyler Martin, the Nebraska transfer, and mentioned the loss of uh, Chandler Best, and that's about it, right? Yeah, uh, unless there's uh, some just any JUCO guys. I there? don't think so. I, I think those are your options. At uh, I mean, Cross Sively, uh, right? Um, we you know, got to see him a little bit. In the fall, um, so he's he's a guy who will probably get some early looks just because you you I mean that's kind of necessary a little bit to to have at least some production from the other side of the mound. But um, 
yeah, I think that points to how important it is to have Justin Storm be what he has the potential to be. Yeah, and you are right. There's there's only three um, healthy lefties on the uh, on the staff, and only two of them wow. um, have thrown pitches in Division One. Yeah. So yeah, I mean you're you're gonna look at um at Martin and Storm, and I, I don't think either of those guys you know have the stuff of a, of a Rogers. You know, Rogers obviously had you know great stuff being a third round pick. Uh, but yeah, they're gonna have to eat innings. I think. Um, yeah. I think you, you yeah. look at Storm primarily, and I think um, Martin's gonna get. Mar- I think Martin's a guy you've seen. Um, just previously, Nebraska was able uh, to eat innings there, and and did his uh, numbers were were fine uh, in the fall. He was eighty nine, ninety one, um, with the fastball. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's um, you might be in trouble against um, you know, righty dominant teams. Uh, uh or sorry. Um, well, or yeah, yeah, sorry. Right, yeah, so Roddy Dominant. You yeah. might be in trouble against Roddy Dominant teams sure. just based on the lack of a uh, of left handed pitching. So, well, and I think um, another guy that you know we talked about some of these transfers and JUCO guys. Luke Trahan is another guy that I think you need to be really good, uh, which is a little unnerving because he. I think when we we heard that announcement. Um, that he was being added out of the transfer portal. It, it, it was, uh, I think, we saw it as sort of more of just a project add a little bit. Uh, but now with with all of the losses that you have in this bullpen, I think you need him to be good. And he was, I was impressed with what I saw in the fall. He was, he showed a lot more control than I think we were expecting. Um, you know, he wasn't up to the, the right. 98, 99. He was, uh, he did bump. 94 a few times when I saw him in the fall. but um, So I was encouraged there, but I think with the lack of experience and with the lack of options, even from the left side, just due to the fact you're sort of limited uh, in terms of your options, I think he's a guy who has the potential to be really good and needs to be really good if this if this bullpen is going to be high quality. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, the velo is down. I think that's just necessary for him. I think – Pitching yeah. 98, 99, he can't throw strikes. Overthrowing it, yeah. Low 90s. Uh-huh. Uh, might have a better chance of getting in the zone. But, yeah, I mean, he, we talked about him just um, – he was a guy that he averaged around, you know, a walking inning there at Dallas Baptist and um, had, you know, had maybe a, had a couple good outings, but, you know, just super inconsistent. Um, and, yeah, I mean, he, he's a guy with, uh, uh, with upside, maybe not quite the upside. Uh, just, you know, based on like we're talking about, his VLA has to come down just from the throw strikes. But, yeah, I mean, he – I think he's more of a one inning guy. I think you look at him maybe as a right hander, almost like a maybe a setup guy. You can use him, yeah. or kind of a, or a bridge guy. I guess is, is the right term to get you to whoever becomes uh, one of your back end um, your bullpen options. Um, but you're just getting to some of the other guys. Uh, another guy, Chandler Dawson. I think he's uh-huh. not a guy that people are really talking about a lot, but he, I think he's very likely. Uh, going to eat at least, you know, 30, 35 innings just because we've seen him uh, pitch. I mean, just last year he was in the Sun Belt and he threw 43 innings and he was, you know, showed you, you know, a baseline level of ability. I mean, at a four, 460 ERA, uh, 137 which, which, whip, which isn't dominant, but, I mean, he's good enough based on what we saw last year um, in this same league um, to where he's, he's going to be able to get innings. So I think you look at him as, as a relief option. Another guy you look at, um, Holland Towns mm-hmm. from uh, from Hines. He was a guy that uh, started his career at um, at Memphis. Didn't really 
uh, play it all there. Uh, then he transferred to Hines, and he was a starter. Hines, he's a guy that could maybe a dark horse uh, candidate to get a um, to get a starting role. Big kid. Yeah, he's 6'4", 220, and uh, he, I guess he was uh, played at St. Andrews in high school. And if right. I can pull up his um, stats here. Yeah, so last year at Hines, he was a guy that he threw 76 innings at a 2.96 ERA. Yeah. Um, a whip of uh, would have been, uh, let's see, 101 over 76 is uh, 133, which is, that's all right. But he's a guy, I think he's going to, another guy that can that's going to eat innings there um, in the bullpen. And he was someone, I guess he would have been low, uh, his VLO low 90s or so. Um, let's see what the fall report says. Uh, yeah, Towns was bumped 95, uh, according to Aaron Fitt. He's worked low 90s. Um, bumped 95, has four pitches, four-pitch guy. So, honestly, he may be a dark, just based on that, four pitches. He could be a dark horse guy yeah. um, in, the ro- in the rotation. But I think he's definitely somebody that has the potential to uh, throw 30 or 40 innings along with uh, with Dawson. Um, and then, yeah, who, who else are we missing? Dustin Dickerson, maybe. Um, yeah. I, I think the hope, is, and it was similar last year because, um, <clears throat> you know, obviously we found out he was a pitcher in the, <laughs> the conference yes. tournament two years ago. But I, I think the hope last year was that we wouldn't need to see Dustin Dickerson on the mound. And I think that it, it's similar this season. We did see him a little bit in the fall. Obviously he has good stuff, but I think you would like to keep him at shortstop. And, <clears throat> again, you would hope, that you you have a good enough uh, bullpen, especially on the back end, that you don't need to pull your shortstop onto the mound. Um, I don't know any any thoughts on Dustin Dickerson there? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess every year Osterners he kind of teases like, "Yeah, oh, we're definitely going to use him on the mound," and I don't know if that's just something he says to get teams kind of on their heels a little bit, like, "Oh, we gotta we gotta prepare for this." You know, it takes time preparing, and somebody's some GA's got a scalp for this guy or something, <laughs> yeah, but. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, he's got a big arm, and um, you know, I think he's somebody that if he was ever going to do it, he it would be in a back end role. Uh, so maybe we oh, should yeah. include him in a back. I mean, he's not going to start. Uh, he's not going to be a middle reliever. He's right. going to be, um, you know, one maybe two wing type. You know, high leverage reliever. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Well, I mean, it's something to keep an eye on. I don't think he's going to throw unless it's just a, a complete. You know, situation where like a lot of tech where you need it. I mean, I think that going back to that game, I think both teams had already seen every single guy that both team that the other team had thrown. Sure, sure. sure. Um, because you had at that time that was the eleventh game, so I think Australia was thinking, well, you know, maybe we can throw this guy out. They don't have a scout report on him. We're gonna catch him by surprise. And yeah. Um. So I think that's why that happened then. And um. So I, I wouldn't expect to see him um out there, but I guess you it's it's a possibility. Um. And then um. I guess getting any other other guys. Uh, uh, I guess Isaiah Rose. We don't. I mean, you, people kind of know he's him. A known quantity. Yeah. yeah. So we don't, we don't really need to go super into he's him. He's gonna have the big role. Yeah, he, he's yeah. gonna be one of the guys you could see in middle relief, like you know, just same role. Yeah. Uh, he was in a year ago. Yep. Um. Uh, Colby Allen from uh, Starkville. Okay, he was a very late ad. Um, but people say he has a big arm. Possibly, I, I don't think he, you're gonna see him at all. Um. True freshman, right? True freshman, yeah. yes. Um, Jake Cook as well from Madison Central. Yes. I think uh, maybe had an injury late in the fall, and so might not, uh, I think. I think. Wasn't, or maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. Someone was saying that he could have a chance to eat innings uh, in 23. Wasn't somebody in the group me saying that? 
I think at at some point, but I think because of the injury, okay. maybe not. Okay. Uh, don't quote me on that. That is that's uh, obviously not official. I I don't know the nature of the inj- in, uh, injury, and again, that's that's sort of hearsay. That's um, secondhand. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, Jake Cook at some point is a guy that you know they're yeah. excited about. And will probably eat some innings. Uh, it, even if it's not this year, uh, Will Armistead. He was a guy. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. He was he was around ninety um, when I saw him at a scrimmage. Um, he's from Itawamba uh, Community College. Um, he's a guy that they could uh, work there in middle relief. Uh, so I mean, they got a lot of innings eaters. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, all, honestly, I I feel like almost better about the back end, which is crazy as that is. Really? That, yeah, because oh. I I feel like either Middleton or Storm's gonna. One of those guys, maybe both, will click, and you'll have somebody there at the back end. But you're going to have to have some guys to bridge the the gap between your starter and your closer. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, just looking at this, I mean, it doesn't look like we even have that many pitchers on the roster, period. I was thinking that, too. <laughs> right. Um. So, let me type right-handed. There's only, let's see, within the, one of those guys. We have 14 pitchers on the roster. That's not a lot. No, it's not. Um, and, you know, obviously three of those guys are going to start. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the exact roster size is. 35, 36, 37. 35, yeah. I, know, I, know, I, guess, yeah, I guess 35 is what you can use. That's right. So, I was right. just thinking in terms of guys. I guess you have guys, the the roster, but then you have just guys that are with the program that maybe they're not on the active roster, the red shirt or whatever. Yeah, sure, um, sure. But, yeah, I mean, there's not. Jackson Parker, I mean, he's. They talked about him maybe being uh, pitching, but I mean not this year. I, w- I want to think right. they, uh, a freshman uh, from uh, from Stringer. Uh-huh. Uh, he was a guy originally committed to Mississippi State. Um, so yeah, I think you, you look at Rhodes. I think you, your middle relief Rhodes, Towns, Dawson. I think those are three guys, and then uh, Martin. I guess although you would look at him maybe more as a um, more of a, a left-handed um, uh, reliever specialist. Um, yeah, and then I guess, uh, and then um, so yeah, that's the um, that's the bullpen. That's the I think that's all the pitching. That's we pitching we, we covered. Uh, I think we mentioned at least every or or I think we I think we hit everybody. Yeah, I think we hit every uh, pitcher. And it was also Chase Adams. Uh, he's a freshman from mm-hmm. uh, Normal, Illinois. Illinois. I don't think you'll see him. Um, but yeah, he, he was I guess the one guy we did not um, talk about. Yeah, I think that is everyone. On the pitching staff, Pat, and uh, so we're we are at uh, about an hour fifteen, so we are going to try to quicken the pace. Yeah, you want to uh, tell them what bit. just we just went through, or yeah, so <laughs> we just spent the last uh, 10, 15 minutes or so trying to recover the hour fifteen of recording that we had done uh, because my decade old Mac uh, decided to shut all the windows, uh, but we did recover it, so. Um, you know, we were we were close to having to postpone and re-record the episode. We've we've had to do that before, so uh, but we're safe now. We're good. Uh, so we're gonna keep rolling right into this, Pat. Seven of nine position players return, mm-hmm. and this is uh, I mean you you read that D one fall report, and I think probably most other places, just anyone who is following Southern Miss baseball, this is gonna be the strength of the team is all of the experience that you bring back. Uh, you kind of bring you bring back the vast majority, at least, of your experience in the field and some veterans who have been here a long time, a handful of fifth-year seniors and guys who have been 
on the field for four consecutive years um, all across the diamond. Uh, so, you know, we, we will uh, we'll run through maybe what we project the lineup as. But, yeah, first of all, fly, fly over. Do you feel like this is the strength of the team? I think so, especially w- with the additions you made uh, through the JUCO and the portal. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, but, yeah, last year in mean, the lineup, it wasn't bad. It was, you know, you look at the OPS, it was above the Division One average, but it was very sure. inconsistent. You can go back to that, uh, the, just the postseason. Really, in the, in the regional and the super regional, the only team you consistently hit was LSU. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the LSU game, the offense right. played well. But you right. go back to the Army game, you go back to the Kennesaw game, and then the Super Regional, the offense was not good at all. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be a matter of consistency. And obviously you're going to have, you know, every team's going to have bad games in the lineup. But uh, just kind of consistently producing. And um, I think, um, you know, they, they I think they in terms of just the outfield, at least, they, they really went overkill and adding Edsel and then Tate Parker, who we'll get to, yep. uh, who are, you know, highly rated JUCO players. Um, but yeah, it's um, a lineup that I think can be pretty lethal, pretty uh, pretty good, and um, I, I think you would say it's definitely the, um, or I guess you know the pitching. It's the it's the most proven part of the team, just Absolutely. based on the pieces you you return. And yes. I think there's uh, some guys that uh, from last year that could have um, uh, better seasons than they did, than they did a year ago. I think you're looking yep. at Danny Lynch who uh, played really well in you know, 2020 or 2021. Uh, took a little bit of a step back in 2022, but I think he's a guy that could, if he can get back to that 2021 form, maybe a little above that, kind of the expectations we had for him last year, I think that would be um, an, mm-hmm. you know, an example of a guy that could really um, boost the lineup. But, yeah, we can get into the uh, lineup uh, if you want. Sure. Let's um, So let's go defensively first. There's not a whole lot to cover here because uh, most of these guys we know. But the, the um, I mean, the two positions you lost, center field and second base, obviously Gabe Montenegro – uh, graduates and always uh, really difficult to lose a guy like that who's just been an everyday, everyday guy for so long. And then Will McGillis moves on, which leaves a gap at second base. Um, it feels like second base is kind of the only question mark left because of what you added there in the outfield. Yeah, I think you talk, look at Gabe Lacey, who's a transfer. He's a grad transfer from Tennessee Tech, and he's a um, – I got. I think you look at him. I think you look at um, Faust. Yes, you look at Monastere, Monastere, and, yeah. and you look at, at Robertson. I think they all have their own strengths and weaknesses. Uh-huh. But Lacey, in particular, he was a guy. He was, I think, a second team All OVC at a 941 OPS. Um, so I mean, he's going to be stepping up a competition. You look at his numbers against some of the better teams. It wasn't quite as good as it was against league play. But he he will give you. I think he would at least if you played on 56 games, he would at least give you, you know. Division one average offensive production, so like 800 OPS or above that. Um, and I think you look at, um, and he is a, uh, he is a, um, no, he's, he's right hand. Okay. So yeah, he, he's a, he's a right hander. Uh, you look at uh, Creek Robertson uh, in the mix there. And I think Robertson projects at shortstop, but he can definitely play either middle infield uh, position. He's a guy, really, you know, we talked about really good defensively. Really I was talking good. to a, yeah. um, an AL scout last year, he told me that he's elite defensively. Um, but uh, the offense is the question. You look at last year in, in summer ball, he had a 521 OPS. Um, although I think he in the fall, I don't know. I mean, we don't have the exact fall numbers, uh, but I know he had a home run off Tanner Hall uh, in the fall. Uh, but he's a guy that he, the bat is the is the big question mark there, and um, so. That's the thing you kind of look for there. He's not sure. going to give you – he might give you – I mean, he would 
give you the best defensive um, value, but uh, not the best offensive value. Uh-huh. Um, and then you look at, at Faust, and he's a guy that played a little bit last year when he had some injuries. I mean, he's an older player. I think it's his third or fourth year in the program. Um, so he's a guy, he's an older guy, but doesn't have a ton of experience. Um, has some, um, I don't know, maybe around 100 at-bats in his career. Um, and then uh, who? Oh, oh, Monastere, who was uh, you know a true freshman from Northwest Rankin, uh, and he was a guy. He, he had a lot of um, you know kind of coming into a lot, um, a lot of our yeah. He has a lot of hype coming in, mm-hmm. uh, but even then uh, he wasn't a, a super high recruit. But he's a player that I think you know down the line, um, maybe even this year can be really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we don't know a ton about him really, just because you know he's never you know played at this uh, at this level. Um, so I think um, you can, yeah, you, you look at Lacey gives you the highest um, a floor. I think Monastere has maybe the highest ceiling just based on you know the, you know, the kind of the talent we've talked about. Um, I think Robertson um, you know gives you the best defense right now, and then um, you know Faust gives you um, experience. Although Lacey also gives you experience, but um, so yeah, they they all have kind of their their pros and cons, and mm-hmm. but I think. That's kind of how I, I view the log game there at second base. So right, and I think it's um, yeah. Or for Faust actually only has under fifty at bats. Wow, yeah. Year, so. But I, I think even and we had talked last year about how good Brady Faust was in the fall at the plate. Um, he, he's got some real potential with the bat, and I think um, yeah, we saw I, I saw a big improvement in Creek Robertson at the dish in the fall looked to me like he had, he had added some good weight over the summer and um you know uh, a lot of times that's the the really big jump guys make is from freshman to sophomore year in terms of of yeah being able to compete at the level and kind of getting used to the speed of division 1 baseball Lacey Faust and uh and Creek Robertson uh I think all all three of those guys have the potential to be really good at second base this year I, I would not be shocked if you kind of had a, uh, you know, sort of what we had in right field, you know, there were some question marks and you didn't have, you never had anybody really commandeer the position. Uh, then you give a, a freshman, retro freshman Carson Peto a chance and he lights it up. Uh, I think Creek Robertson has that kind of potential. I'm not saying he would come in there and, you know, and, and hit double digit bombs for you. Uh, but I, I think his, like you said, his glove is good enough. And, the potential with the bat is there to be competitive enough to nail down that second base spot. Um, and so I, I think it's it's sort of a similar thing in some ways to what we were talking about with the rotation. Uh, there is certainly some unproven aspects of, of the options that you have there, but I think you like your options. Yeah, I think you're – McGillis had the highest OPS on the team last year, so you're not going to replace that no. his offensive production. No. Uh, but there are some options there that you know you can kind of money ball it, and you can get you know depending on you know the defensive value. Although McGillis had some you know certainly some good moments defensively as well. Sure, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you can come pretty close to replacing uh, what he gave you last year, even though as good as he was, you know that's a tough yeah, thing to do. yeah. And, and I think just looking at the lineup as a whole, you would expect. To replace some of, you would expect to replace his production just across the board. It's it's going to be more spread out a little bit. But some of those guys you mentioned, like Danny Lynch, who who you would hope and um, you know kind of 
maybe expect uh, a little bit the way he finished last year to have a better year overall than he did last year. I think you can throw Chris Sargent in there, who, who obviously finished really strong and um, was big in some spots for you and some. I mean, he was your best hitter in the postseason. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think, yes, you you lose a big bat in Will McGillis, especially in in some of those later portions of the season that maybe you're not going to get back with the options that you have at second base, but I think you're you're going to pick up that slack, I guess, is what I'm saying on the in other parts of the lineup. Um, I do want to touch on catcher a little bit, and again, this is – this is going to be <laughs> another really long episode. Um, Blake Johnson, Rodrigo Montenegro, obviously the guys there last year. But you bring in some really interesting depth pieces who could push for some real innings there as the starting catcher. Yeah, I mean, you brought in Graham Crawford, who was a guy from Alabama last year, and he had been at Pearl River. Uh, and I guess it's, we're just kind of unsure if he's going to – I don't think they're going to play three catchers. I think they're going to they play no. two. Um, so I think – I think Blake Johnson is definitely going to be somebody that gets a lot of time there behind the plate. And I guess it would just kind of come down uh, to Montenegro and Crawford. Don't know a ton about Crawford. Uh, You look at Montenegro, who's a guy not quite as good as Johnson defensively, uh, but gave you a little bit more offensive value, especially you put him in there um, against a um, right-hander, just, you know, based on he's a left-hander. But um, so, yeah, I, I think, Johnson and I would, you know, I guess Montenegro would have the edge just based on he was a guy that played a lot last year there at, you know, at the 1B part uh, of catcher. Um, but yeah, Crawford's got to, uh, you know, watch out for possibly mm-hmm. uh, and just kind mm-hmm. of the battles of the next uh, couple weeks in terms of positioning. Yes. Okay. Let's, let's talk the lineup as a whole. Uh, the, the, um, yeah, I mean, the center field replacement, as we mentioned, Matthew Etzel. Uh, feels like is is sort of the heir apparent both in center field and at the leadoff spot. Is that yeah? I, th- I think that's very likely. So um, so people that I guess it's like I mean don't know a ton about him. He mm-hmm. he's a guy. Uh, I mean number one um, JUCO transfer in the country um, by D one baseball, and he was a guy that's top a hundred. I think on their on their um list of. Mm-hmm. Uh, of uh, of college uh, players for the draft, so he's a guy. He's a guy that can is going to be a very good player this year. I mean, yeah. uh, more more than likely, I think he could be your best player. I think I think I think he's probably going to be the best player. Yeah. I want to go ahead and say that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so last year in the um in the MLB draft league, he had a ten fifty um OPS, and he I don't know if he's like a five tool player, but he might. I mean, he's a guy that I guess maybe the one tool you say he might not be like. You know, plus out his power, but even then, I mean, he's a guy who'll probably hit ten home runs. I mean, he had four home runs and 136 plate appearances last year. So, um, and so I guess if you have, let me do the math here. Let's say it's four plate appearances on average, 56 games, 224. Um, so yeah, I mean, he would, yeah, he'd probably come close to, and then you factor in postseason. But so yeah, he's a guy, and that's a wood bat league, I would think too, MLB draft league. So he's yeah, I mean, I think he. He'll hit eight to ten home runs, but that's not you know you don't look at him more as the power threat, even though you know right, like we're right. talking about he, he's going to be able to give you that. But he, he can draw walks, he can really run. He stole really tw- run twenty five bases um, out of twenty seven attempts. I think that pretty sure that led the MLB draft league. So uh, great bat to ball skills. Dunton, I mean, he drew more walks than he struck out. Only struck out thirteen times. Yeah. 
in uh, 136 plate appearances, so that's uh, under 10%. So he has all the traits you want in a modern leadoff hitter. Um, you know, ability to put the bat of the ball, control walks, mm-hmm. um, doesn't strike out a lot, can run. Um, and yeah, I think he's – I mean, he's definitely going to play center field, and I think based on comments up right, he, he's going to lead off, and I think – Right, you know, right, right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and to, and to have a little pop there, too, is – that is uh, icing on the cake. Okay, let's just let's run through this. Um, Dickerson, I think that's what Dickerson I was say. is going to uh, be the um, uh, two hole, which uh, I mean I don't love. I'm kind of more of the you know the analytics you know, numbers <laughs> guy right, that right, likes right. that you want to have your best hitter, which I mean I think could very well be Etzel. Um, but you know Dickerson, you know Barry's kind of the more traditional. He'll go with you know the guy that can put uh, the bat on the ball well. Um, Without um, you know a ton of power like a Dickerson, kind of that traditional uh, two hole guy, um, and yeah. So, do you have any thoughts on that? Or? Yeah, well, I was just going to say Dickerson. I mean, w- one of probably your most consistent hitter last year. I mean, he was what three twenty um, in terms of average, and it just kind of became Mister Reliable. And you you sort of had to move him out of the that nine spot where you had him. I have had him for a lot of his career. Um, and so I, I think there's sort of a comfort level that's been developed at that two spot as well. In uh, the three spot, Pat, uh, it was uh, Reese Ewing for the majority of the year, yes. right? Three spot. Yes. And there's a, there's a question mark. We kind of skipped over it a little bit. Um, in left field, there is probably some uh, semblance of a, co- a competition there between Reese Ewing and Tate Parker. Uh, but I would expect... Regardless of who it is, I think the expectation is it's going to be Reese and just due to the fact that he has experience at that spot. Um, but either way, is that who you would slot in the three? I, I, I agree. I think it's going to – I think Ewing will be the opening <clears throat> start. I think they – I guess Parker is right here. So they could platoon. I don't know sure, if, they sure. would, uh, if they'd want to do that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you talk about Parker being uh, – he was top 50 uh, Juco uh, uh, impact transfer according to D1. Yeah. Um, so you, yeah, Ewing was a guy, I guess, you know, who really struggled down the stretch, um, in that, um, in the regional and super, but he was a guy, I mean, when he went out, I mean, the lineup really struggled there, um, kind of later in the year. So if he can kind of get back to where he was in the middle of the year, kind of that 900 to, you know, nine, he was a 910 OPS guy last year. So if he can give you about, you know, 925 OPS, um, I think it'd be a pretty good season for him. So, right. Four sergeant, five. Yeah, so yeah, just something to keep an eye out for for sergeant. So I, think, uh-huh. I, mean, I think people know what sergeant. He's a guy. He's going to hit home runs. Yeah. Uh, not gonna. I mean, hit for average and not going to draw a whole lot of walks. But he's going to hit a bunch of home runs. And I th- so something uh, to keep an eye on for him. So he's hit twenty uh, or sorry thirty. Uh, uh, let's see. So he's hit thirty-seven career home runs. The record is fifty-nine. He'll have a shot at the record. Or the all-time record is actually, or sorry, fifty-eight. He needs to get to fifty-nine to break it. So if he hits twenty-two home runs this year, that would uh, break Walner's wow. record. So that'll be uh, something that will probably get some play later on in the year. People are like, "Well, he's at fifty home runs. He's got to do this. He's on this pace to do this." But yeah, I mean, he, he'll. I think he will be um, your four-hole hitter wow. there at, at first base. Yeah. Um, and then so yeah, then you Peito at five. I think is I think that's good and. I think Peyto could have a, a big year. I think I do um, too. Yeah, I mean, I want to be surprised if he hit 16 home runs this last year. I want to be surprised if he pushed for 20. I think that's. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, there, I, I'm with you. And I think there's there's some things he can do to uh, 
to improve on his game. You kind of look at he was really dominant, or you know, he really crushed right-handers. Uh, big split between him going up against right-handers, left-handers. So you want to see him get a little yeah. bit against, a little bit better against lefties, right? Um, There's some swing and miss there. Yeah, yeah. and um, but just in terms of um, you know what he's, you know, he'll or a year ago he was. Uh, OPS of uh, of nine twenty nine. That was one of the highest marks on there. Actually, yeah. the second highest mark on the team. And he was the guy that yeah. I was just reading the D one report. Barry thought he might have to go JUCO after the uh, uh, <laughs> after this year because he was yeah. striking out so much. But yeah. um, he's a guy. I think he also has a chance to you know maybe go in the first five rounds. Yes. Of the draft, I think he has the just the power and and the uh, physical frame. Uh, but so yeah, yes. I think he could be a breakout candidate. But and then you have Lynch, uh, and I think people know Lynch uh, pretty well at this point. Mm-hmm. He was a guy, uh, you know, dropped off from 21 to 22. He was a guy that was 783 OPS and 22 and 21. He had an OPS of 967. So you, you want to get back to that, you know, around that 950 mark, and I think that would be a, a big deal yes. uh, for the lineup. So what, what did you think about 4, 5, and 6? Sorry, I should let you. No, yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Um, I think the middle of the lineup is is part of what you get from having these guys return. I think I think that is mostly – solid um you know maybe the the ch- the change there a little bit is Peto because you had him in a bunch of different spots but I think having him behind Sargent I, I think you feel good about that um and then seven eight nine I I mean I just have typed out here Wilkes whoever plays second base and then Johnson um DH is interesting because it's uh crowded a little bit um uh, because of you know that battle in um, in left field. I mean, if it's you say if it's not Tate Parker in left field, you would expect him to push uh, Wilkes for those two to push each other. I should say in the DH spot, and I had a little bit of a similar situation there last year. Of course, Charlie Fisher uh, sort of fell off a little bit, so it it came it became obviously Wilkes, especially when he started really swinging the bat better, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you've, I think you feel good about uh, partially about this lineup because the guys who don't make it in the field, I mean, you you would feel really good about the DH spot, and that's that kind of solidifies the lineup a little bit. But I think Wilkes is probably the leader in the clubhouse to be your DH. Yeah, and Wilkes is, a, yeah, I mean, Wilkes is a guy. I think you would, in a perfect world, you'd want to have him out in the field, and that would really help his draft stock because it's just hard to get drafted. As sure, DH. sure. I, I think you look at Peyton Wilkes. I think one of the keys to this team is can one of those guys become a game wrecker. You know, one of those guys that yeah. has a thousand or maybe like an eleven hundred OPS that you know, yeah. pushes for twenty home runs. I think both of those guys have that potential. Then I did Wilkes, too. Mm-hmm. I was hurt a little bit that you know kind of hurt him down the stretch, even though they had some moments down the stretch that were really big. Um, you look at that; he had an RBI single there um, in the um, or sorry, he, he scored. I guess he and uh, he hit the uh, got the hit to move Sargent over to third right. in the top of the ninth of the um, of the regional. So he certainly had some moments later. But, you know, he, he maybe not quite what he was before the injury. But I think he's someone that can, you know, Peyton and Wilkes are both. I kind of grew up in the same bucket. Um, guys, that, you know, talented players that can break out and, you know, give you. Yeah. Um, if, yeah, you know, that game record that we're talking about. Kind of like, you know, maybe not quite the level of a Warner, but a Warner adjacent. Um, if one of those guys are, you know, certainly both, that would uh, give you a big boost to the lineup. And then, yeah, I think, yeah, Lacey, uh, Faust, Robertson. I think if it's Lacey, you put him in eight. Um, I think Faust or Robertson, you would move Johnson up to eight um, and then put um, yeah. Faust, Robertson, or Monastir at nine. 
Um, so yeah, we talked about I guess that log jam there in uh-huh. um, second base, and we talked about catcher. So right. yeah, I think that's you know we'll see what the lineup looks like. But I think you know based off last year, and you know based off what the staff has said and what Barry's done in the past, I think that's pretty close to what it'll kind of look like on uh, opening day against Liberty. Yeah, I agree. And uh, really quick before before we move on and move towards wrapping it up, Blake Johnson, I I he's a guy who I think can have a really big year and kind of break out and he was really solid for the majority of the year and obviously you lost him for what was that four weeks oh, yeah, uh, it would have, he would four, have he got injured against weeks. Jacksonville State and then he didn't come back until a lot tech and all things so that would have been yeah well so a little more than that um yeah I mean it was a month and a half uh, if not a little more than that um and I think that that probably shook him off his game a little bit um but man, he was really good before that, and I think he has the potential to really give you a big boost there at the bottom of the lineup. Um, we saw him. I mean, he really—he's not going to give you just a ton of power, but he showed some pop, and he—he yeah. he barrels up a lot of baseballs. Um, and just if he is there at the bottom of the lineup, I think is is going to give you a really competitive piece. Um, who is going to, you know, have the potential to continue beginning, start beginnings, and uh, just be um, a reliable piece down there at the bottom of the lineup, uh, and especially behind the plate because he was very good there as well, especially at the end of the year. Anything else on the lineup? I think we kind of touched it all, Pat. I think that's it on the lineup. Okay. Uh, so, so yeah, as we, we wrap it up, look at all these different question marks, different strengths, weaknesses of this team this is going to be a very different team from what we saw a year ago when you look at this team from a 30,000 foot view and obviously there are a lot of moving pieces to this as as we know uh, but what in your opinion needs to happen um, what does this team need to do to be an Omaha caliber team yeah I think you you go back to starting pitching and I think you need you need Mazza to be what he can be, you know, a, a really good uh, number two, you know, maybe not a, you know, a day one draft type of guy, but a high or maybe like late day one, early day two type of guy yeah. uh, for 2024 and um, kind of be close to what Gabe Shepard gave you at the end of 2019. We just compared those two guys. So I think you need that to happen, and I think you need to find uh, somebody at the back of the pen you can count on. Yes. Either Storm, Middleton, someone or someone else um, there in the bullpen. Um, and I think um, you need either Wilkes or Peto to be a game wrecker, like we talked about. Yeah. Somebody that can, you know, a four-digit OPS guy that hits, you know, 16 to 20 home runs. Right. And I think those guys have the ability to do that. So I think those are the three keys. Um, and then maybe, you know, maybe honorable mention you would say competency on Sunday. But I think those are the big things. Sure. Uh, Mazza living up to what he can be. Um, the uh, Peto and Wilkes, and the one of them, yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. Sorry, uh, Middleton or Storm or whoever, right, right, becoming yeah. a, a reliable back end uh, piece, and then um, you know, finding some you know a really dominant power hitter there uh, between those two guys that we talked about. So yep. I think those are three things. If those three thing, three things happen, you know, you will be in position uh, to be in you know Douglas County, Nebraska, in June. Oh um, boy! So oh boy. Yeah, I uh, I agree. I think just on paper, and again, this is going to change inevitably. But looking at paper, on paper at what you have in the pitching staff, both uh, starting 
in the rotation and in the bullpen, I think I think your offense is going to have to be a whole lot better than it was last year. Um, and I think it's going to have to be consistent because you had some really, really great stretches for the lineup a year ago. And then it would you would have spans in the season, be it across a weekend or two or three weeks, where they just really, really struggled. And I, I don't think that this staff is going to be able to hold the weight of a lineup that is inconsistent this year. Um, if you want to be in the spot to host a regional and uh, and therefore put yourself in a good position to make a run at Omaha, I, I think I think that's the number one thing. Um, and of course, your known quantities, uh, the guys you expect to be great, have to be great. That obviously includes Tanner Hall, guys like Danny Lynch, Chris Sargent. Uh, you know, not going to name everyone there, but um, the guys that you expect to be good have to be really good. Um, but yeah, you name all those things too. Those factors. This team has the potential, the talent, the depth to. Make a run in Omaha. Um, one other thing to consider just before we put a bow on it, this is this is going to be uh, a little bit more of a grinder in conference play uh, than Conference USA. We have we have talked over and over again about the fact that Conference USA, very strong baseball conference, and it, it's not necessarily a huge jump up, but I think there's a lot more depth and parity in the Sun Belt. I think that's fair to say. Um, which could hurt you or help you a little bit, too, in some ways. Yeah, I think you look at the league schedule. I mean, you look at seven of the ten, I think, are pretty competitive teams at least. Oh, I think you look at the weekends where, I mean, you, you don't say any weekends of a snooze or a walkover, but I think you look at Arkansas State, ULM, and uh, maybe, maybe Georgia State but um, would be the three. But, I mean, the rest of this, the seven of the ten teams on your weekend schedule are capable of taking a weekend series from you. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and, and then with the non-conference, I would say three of the four. Um, yeah. So it's some, you know, I think 11 of the, of the or, uh, sorry, 10 of the 14 are, uh, you know, pretty difficult or at least, you know, top 100 type teams possibly. Um, it, or at least, you know, at least you know, a lot of these teams could end up being top 50 or maybe top 25. But um, So, yeah, it, it's going to be, and, you know, you um, – the west side is, I think, maybe a little stronger, and then, but you also get a tough crossover with Coastal, ODU, and um, Georgia Southern. Um, so yeah, it's uh, um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun year, and um, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. I, I'm looking at these Massey ratings. How many uh, was it? Four top 100 teams. Four. Oh, oh, in the Sun Belt. Oh, oh, Sun Belt. Uh, um, I feel like it was more than that. Was it seven top 100 and four top 50, or is that too many? Uh, let me Let's see. South, Georgia Southern, us. Well, last year you would have had, just in terms of teams that made the tournament, you would because South, or sorry, ULL made it. Um, yeah. Texas State made it. Um, and uh, the other team was uh, Georgia Southern made it. Right. Uh, so you had right. three teams, and then you had USM, and it's four. So you would have had four teams that would have made it in the semifinal last year, and then you had a team. Uh, like uh, Old Dominion that came very close to making. They were the first teams out of the uh, tournament. So, you know, you're going to have it's a league that's probably going to be, I would say, at least three to four bids. I don't know about five. Uh-huh. But I think it's between three to four bids. Um, and, yeah, I don't know when the preseason poll is going to come out. Um, right. But, yeah, it's going to be fun. A lot of these, or I guess this year, um, 
Well, I guess, yeah, I guess this year you would you would have drivable series at Troy and ULM. Yeah. Um, I was kind of thinking of ULM and South Island being at home. But, yeah, you have a couple of uh, drivable um, uh, weekend series. So. Ah. Baseball is almost here again, 20, 25 days mm-hmm. when this comes out. Pat, anything else before we wrap it up? We'll obviously uh, cover in detail as we approach opening day, that opening series against Liberty. Anything else before we wrap uh, up? Janari Dean uh, uh, hanging yeah. it up. Yeah. Uh, so that was the kind of, a, I guess you added Rodriguez Clark from uh, Memphis. Yep. Uh, running back, uh, playing Starkville High. Um, so, yeah, just kind of a little bit of uh, shuffling there in the running back room. But no... Nothing huge else I can think of. I feel like we've covered everything, given we've been on for over 100 minutes. But uh. Yes, yes. We appreciate you guys listening, as always. and We are very excited to both experience another baseball season with you and to experience uh, – we're approaching the final month of the regular season of basketball, yeah. which is, is uh, kind of crazy. And it's that is – that's going to be a lot of fun, too. Yeah. We are going to be with you every step of the way. We will see you next week. This has been another episode of Buzzardry. That is Patrick McGee. My name is Ben Milam, and we hope to have you with us next time. This has been buzzer dream thanks for listening and be sure to share and leave a review you can find us on twitter and facebook at buzzer dream pod for all you need to know about the show see you next time